Chats from the Blog Cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know the show where I personally invite people into the Blog Cabin to chat about life and other issues of our time. And today we're chatting with Nicole L. Davis, PhD. I want to put the PhD out there because PhDs, I know, are hard work because I have a daughter right now who's getting her PhD in California. So I know how hard work she goes through. Um, She's the author of Eve, Where Are You? And it talks about the gender inequality for women that the church sometimes don't always look on women positive. So Nicole, welcome to the show. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself before we start chatting about your book. Yes. Thank you so much, Melissa. I appreciate you having me here today and the weather is nice. So that makes it even fancier because the backdrop is sunshine. So I Mm -hmm. love that, but uh, I'm originally from Akron, Ohio. I'm a Midwest girl. Uh, But I went to the military straight out of high school, and that's where I met my husband. He's from Maryland, and that's where we reside now. We have two adult sons, one 28, and one is about to be 24 in a couple of weeks. And so we've been married also. This is a big month for us, 30 years this month. Uh, And during that time, I just remember I've been doing a lot of... um, kind of self-evaluating lately, just looking at our path because it's that month where we do that. But where we came from, we both come from single parent households. Uh, My parents were never married. His mom was married, but ended up being divorced. And so we share that single parent experience and the need to have more and to do more. And so we both left home with a vision and a purpose to accomplish great things. And so just looking back over that and seeing where we are, he's now an attorney and I got my PhD in 2019, uh, working with families, which is our primary emphasis and focus. We've written books together. We're co-authors. We have a coaching and mediation firm. He's about to start a, a family law practice. Our sons are doing amazing. Uh, My background in mediation and facilitation all around family and personal development. So, and social work. I actually started in social work. I have an undergrad in social work. So that's a little bit about uh, where I come from. And today we're doing more of the same with the writing of this new book on the heels of my dissertation to now empower women. I feel a strong desire to help women identify who they are, what they're called to do, because our families depend on it. If the woman is not secure in who she Mm -hmm. is and confident in her abilities, it's gonna be very difficult for her to help her children to do the same because we first lead Mm -hmm. by example, and then it's what we say that our children follow. That is so true. And I love the way that you were like, you talk about you had a very, very career because you're talking about the Navy, you've got your dissertation, you've been in social work, you've done everything. So basically, you've been able to see all different aspects of human life. How has that helped you write this book? Well, it helped tremendously. And as a matter of fact, you know, and we've been Christians just as long. I say that my social work degree 
helped me just as much as the Bible in making decisions about what type of parents we were going to be and how it is that we were going to represent Christ in our families and knowing the impact of that. So the education helped me to understand the real value in the types of choices we were making as parents and the need for us to be co-parenting from the standpoint of being on the same team with our children and understanding the vision that we had for our family and supporting one another in accomplishing that. So, and then of course, seeing other families, you know, working with other families and seeing the kind of things that they were going through really based on poor decisions and being able to juxtapose that with what we were intentionally trying to do that was um, very different from how we were raised, expecting a different outcome. And so all of that had a lot to do with uh, why it is that I chose to study the things that I did. Like my PhD is in conflict analysis and resolution mm -hmm. because I believe people have what it takes to solve their own problems. They just need a little guidance. They need information. Mm -hmm. They need the how to's in order to make it happen. Because when you think about it, Melissa, a lot of the differences in how we make decisions is based on those who have information and those who mm -hmm. don't, mm -hmm. and those who choose to implement what they know. That is so true. And a lot of women think that they can't because it's been drilled into their mindsets that they can't do anything, that they're nothing without. Modern day media, especially movies, you're nothing without a man. You're nothing without doing, you can't do anything on your own. So I'd love that you're, you're actually thinking and making women think outside of the box. And, you know, and it's, it's really something because we all, we like to say, which is totally not true that you're going to be like your mother, like your father. Mm -hmm. And it does happen, but it doesn't have to happen. And that's the thing that is our own choice. Do I want that? Or just remembering, because I, I think a lot of, um, and I say it a lot too, I grew up a latchkey kid. And what that means, a lot of people don't know what that means, is I had the key to my home when I came home from elementary school and I let myself in the house. And no one was there. My mom was at work and my dad was not around. And I just remember that feeling. And I've never forgotten that feeling. And I said, if I ever had a family of my, my own, I would want to be home so that there's life in the house mm -hmm. when the children come home, because it makes such a huge difference. And while I didn't have it, I knew I wanted it. And so I made a different choice. And that's what we as women can do. We can mm -hmm. choose differently. It doesn't have to be, it does, that cycle doesn't have to continue just because that's what you grew up in. I totally agree with that. And I'm going to put something in that I've done with my girls. Um, when I was growing up, I'm the youngest of four girls. So, you know, with girl, a lot of girls, um, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't talk a lot in my family. We didn't talk about what was bothering us. We kind of, everything kind of got buried under the surface, but I chose with my three girls, cause I have three girls that we talk about things, even there, if they're uncomfortable things that we have conversations. And there's sometimes I've said it before, we have cry fest sometimes because they tell me things that, that have upset them and it upsets me, but then I know that I can do better as a mom. And same way goes back that I can tell them things that have hurt me. And it, there's no judgment there. And I think that's something that I chose to do instead of always constantly judging my girls is making sure there was no judgment and we had open space for each other. Yes. And, you know, that takes a lot of self-awareness, even to realize that 
I did, this wasn't happening for me and I need to make sure it happens with my mm -hmm. children. So I have two younger sisters. I am the oldest by 12 and a half years. Wow. And I was able to be a mother long before I should have because my mother worked nights. And just seeing the tax that was on me, I said, I won't do that to my children. Mm -hmm. I will always ask my son if he minds watching his younger brother because I knew how that made me feel. And I didn't want to do the same thing to him. And so it takes a, like you said, it takes a lot of self-awareness to be able to say, this is what I grew up with. But this is not what I want in my life. Not to say that your childhood was bad by all means, but just to say that I wanted something different for myself. Yes. And we should, and it, that's okay to want something different. But I'm going to tell you, it was a struggle for a long time because my family, my mother has a lot of brothers and sisters and more sisters. And they didn't understand the choices I was making. And they, they criticized mm -hmm. the choices I was making because they it just wasn't what they knew. And that's how people are wired. I'm going to do what I know because that's all I have. But you don't have to stop there. You can gain more knowledge. You can be around different kinds of people that are doing things that are more in alignment with what you want for your family. So while the families may not be bad per se, they mm -hmm. can make it very difficult when you don't want what they've given you. That is so true. And how do we break that cycle? Because it seems like women seem to be down on women more than, you know, men are. Women seem to criticize women more about, oh, you're, if you're a stay-at-home mom, oh, why aren't you out getting a job? And if you're a working mom, why aren't you staying home with your kids? And the stereotypes, the magazines as well. Why is that so? Yeah, we'll see. It goes back again to identity. You have to be confident in who you are. That's the only way you can stand up against those naysayers or those criticizing what it is that you're doing, whether it's a man or a woman, because nobody else is paying your bills. No mm -hmm. one else is raising your children. No, they're not in your home. They're not in your marriage. And so what may work for someone else, if it doesn't work for you, you have to be comfortable saying uh, that's fine, that that's what you want to do. But for for as the Bible says, it's for me and my house. Mm -hmm. And that only comes through getting in the word, the word, you know, knowing who God created us to be, believing that and mm -hmm. then finding your strength through prayer support, you know, others who believe like you. So all of that has to work together to make you be more courageous in standing against those that don't agree with you. That is so true. And we need to take a brief commercial break, but then we'll be right back. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are 
and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways, and we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do, um, and we would appreciate any support, either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com, and in the menu, click on Donate. And we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back talking with Nicole Davis about her book, Eve, Where Are You? Now, let's talk about your ministry background, because you have a ministry background. And I think that's kind of led you into writing this book. And I absolutely love your introduction. So tell us about your ministry background. Yes. Yeah, so I didn't grow up in the church. Um, as a matter of fact, as a little girl, I remember signing myself up for the Sunday school bus to come and get me. The church was right around the corner from us. And my mother would literally get me dressed and send me to church. And I went to church because my friends went to church mm -hmm. and I wanted to be with my friends. That's when I was an only child in those younger years. But when I went to the military, that's where I gave my life to the Lord. And because he saved me in such an unconventional way, uh, it wasn't in a church. It was in a singles Bible study in the barracks. And so people were there, they were dressed all different kinds of ways. They were old and young. They came from different uh, denominational backgrounds. And so how God pursued me in, in my initial experience with him made me fall in love with him in a way that I was committed to whatever it was that he wanted me to do. And so fast forward, once uh, my husband and I settled here, came back from overseas and, and uh, took up residence here in Maryland, and we joined church, that's where uh, these beginnings of ministry, you know, ordinations, and first it was a deacon, and then it was a minister. And then there were the prophetic words about who I was that I mm -hmm. didn't necessarily agree with because it was like, no, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. But as time went on and the more I got involved and the more I began to per really pursue God about his purpose for my life, it became very evident, not just within me, but from what people were saying and uh, the experiences that I was, was having and the abilities and the giftings that God was allowing me to demonstrate. And so it was through all of that that I finally accepted okay, I will operate in as a minister. I will mm -hmm. accept this ordination as a pastor because I, I had to understand that it was bigger than me, mm -hmm. that God had me here for a purpose and I had to give in to that and yield to that. And so my process was a very long and drawn out one because I'm a very no-nonsense kind of person. And while I am a Christian, I am not religious by any means. And so I think I've always been a thinker. I always have mm -hmm. questions. And that's gotten me in trouble quite a bit. <laughs> but I've held true to it. And God has met me there. And uh, even when people can't stand me, they still want to recognize the gifts on my life. And so now I'm I fully embrace the call on my life that as a pastor, not of a church, but just in the kingdom of God, I belong to a church, but not the pastor. I'm mm -hmm. a pastor. 
And so that's how it, it all began. It was a long, painful, drawn out process in the discovery and the accepting of God's call on my life. And I absolutely love it in the introduction. You talk about how you find when you finally joined a church, it's because your sons wanted to get involved and wanted to do things with the church. And they kind of were like the push. And you were like, okay, if, <laughs> if God, if you want me here, you're going to have to come to me. I'm not going out and seeking all these. And he came to you. He did. He did. And I really believe he responded because it was from a pure place. You know, I just... I had been so confused and so beat up in the church because here I'm thinking I'm doing a good thing or the fact that I'm passionate about something or questioning something or challenging something was to further advance him to make sure mm -hmm. that people were doing it his way and not just for uh, whatever the pastor wanted or, you know, whatever trite a reason that people do some of the things that they do. And so it was in a very ugly uh, break from a church that we experienced that I, I was just like, I'm done, you know, and I didn't really like the results we were seeing in the church anyway, that the pastor's children were always the bad ones, you know, there were mm -hmm. uh, a lot of girls getting pregnant, you know, and I knew that their parents spent a lot of time at church. And so just me, you know, and I was still going to school and I was getting degrees. So, you know, I'm, I'm using both sides my intellect and my spiritual and, and asking the questions. And so when we were going through that and we chose to come home, we were content to send them to private school, Christian private school, and to model Christ. Yeah. We felt very comfortable doing that because the results of those who were constantly going to church were not what we wanted. And that also aligned with how we felt about our families. We loved them, but what we wanted the results we were seeing didn't align with our own goals. And so when we were home and we would watch sermons and we would have our own praise and worship and dancing and music, and we would pray and we would read the Bible, but the kids went to school and their friends mm -hmm. went to church. And I just remember the same thing happening to me. So because our, we gave our children a voice, which is something that I didn't really have as a child. It was do as, as I say, not as I do kind of thing. We let them know very early on, if we're saying something that you don't understand, you don't agree with, it's okay to ask questions. We're interested in your perspective. And so they felt comfortable, you know, when they wanted something or didn't agree with something, mm -hmm. and that was something that they wanted. And we heard them and was willing to go back to church as much as my husband and I didn't really care to do it, but it was something inside of them. And that's the other thing, trusting and acknowledging and respecting the God in our children. Mm. If your child is asking for God or something that will bring them closer to God. How can you say no to no. that? That is so true. But I like how you said when you went in and you joined the church, it was everything on the down low because you didn't really want to get involved. Oh, no. Oh, no. If, and I mean, we were very careful with that. We weren't trying to join any ministries. We did whatever was required to allow our children to do more. And it just so happened this particular church required you had to be a partner in order for 
the children to go on the missions trips or the different things, you needed to be committed to the ministry, which makes perfect sense. I understand it. But at the time, you know, that's not what we wanted to hear. (laughs) But we did. We went through all the steps, went through, jumped all the hoops so that our kids could have the experience. And what I did know is it was a setup for me so that God could continue where we left off. Even though he allowed me the time separate from attending church, uh, there is a very real and necessary part in being involved with a local body and allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to be fed, to be watered, to be sharpened Mm -hmm. by others. Yes, we had friends, but it's something about the coming together. Mm-hmm. While we think we don't necessarily need it, there is much that can be done for us and for others through us when we come together like that. So God used it, and I'm so glad that we went. And he used it also to have you write your book. So let's talk about Eve. Where are you? Okay. How did that yes. come about? Whew. So Eve was not on the radar. It was my dissertation that I was focused on. And the work that I do in the federal government uh, as a mediator and as a um, harassment prevention expert and as a conflict coach, I'm always interested in leadership and how leadership is done and the impact of leadership and how leadership can be done better. And so really that was my desire to write on something about leadership. And I was going to focus on leadership in the military. And while I was working on that, it just so happened uh, our our older son was coming back from college. He had just finished and was waiting uh, for his background uh, investigation to be done. It was a year long process. And in that time, he started going back to the church that we were a part of. And uh, it was during that time that when he came home and we have like you, we have wonderful conversations and they're very open and heartfelt and deep conversations. And it was uh, and when they come in from somewhere, whether it's school or a trip or out with friends and we're asking, so how was it? They know. Talk to us like you're painting a picture or you're telling a story because we weren't there. We want to know. We want to experience it the way you experienced it. And so. This was one of those times our uh, older son, he did that. He painted the picture for me and he was explaining what happened. And it was as he was talking, there were some things that the church didn't necessarily believe that were things that were important to us. And he couldn't understand why we would be okay with that. And he Mm -hmm. challenged me with that. And it was in that moment uh, that God really illuminated for me what he wanted my next focus to be. And it was, while it was leadership, it needed to be women and it needed to be primarily Christian women, although not exclusively, Mm -hmm. primarily Christian women. And so uh, that's when I began to embark on my dissertation, which is entitled Women in Ministry, how conflicts between God's purpose and church doctrine impact the efficacy Mm -hmm. of female church leaders. And so it was from that research, working with men and women leaders in the church and understanding how they came to believe what they do about whether or not women should be leaders and uh, the impact that women had had on them 
that I knew this information needed to be known beyond my dissertation mm-hmm. because that's not really for public consumption. You know, that's that's academic mm-hmm. and it's going to sit in a library somewhere, which is what it's doing. And so with my editor who didn't know that I was contemplating writing a book, he confirmed for me that you need to write a book about this. Like this is really good stuff that you have in here. And I said, you know what, you just confirmed that that's exactly what I I need to do. And so it was only weeks after completing my defense. And as you know, anyone who's working on a doctorate, completing your defense, you're done. Like you want to get somewhere Mm -hmm. and just veg out for Mm -hmm. a long time. And I just asked the Lord for a month and that wasn't even okay. This was immediate. The work on this book became immediate. And so probably within nine months after completing my defense for my doctoral doctoral degree, I then wrote this book, Eve, Where Are You? So that women and churches, pastors, leaders can know what it is that women are going through, the impact that it's having on the church by not recognizing women and how it's literally destroying us and our families by not allowing the efficacy of women in any arena to be made manifest and accepted. The impact is um, is more than we even understand. So let's talk about some of the toxic practices that are, are in place right now in the church or even in the workplace. Yeah, so when you think about women and you think about all that they're going through, it's it's the same. It's the exact same. There's gender bias. Mm-hmm. There's discrimination. Mm-hmm. There's this male-dominating patriarchy that exists, and that's in the workplace as well as the church. And then there's just this, this symbolism that male the male figure or men as the head is all that really works. And there's too much research out there. There are too many examples where that's just absolutely not true. And we don't have to make it as though that's um, that's an, the exception. No, mm-hmm. we're, we're also wired and designed to lead as well. And so when we accept these types of barriers or these toxic practices against women, then we're really hurting ourselves Mm -hmm. because you're not having the best talent, the most competent, the most skilled in position. You've you've relegated it all to gender, Mm -hmm. which is so sad that the church isn't um, more astute or more spiritually mature to accept the gift wherever it comes from, through whomever it comes, so that the work can be done, that God received the glory. So those are the types of things that are happening, still happening today. Well, so how do we overcome it? Because like you said, so many people are so set in their minds that they're not going to want to change their minds. How do we get them to change their minds? How do we work so the women are better in the workplace, better in the church, so that women have, a, people have a better view, view of women, period? Yeah, a lot of it, and this goes back to the same thing in the family, us modeling it. So we we need to stop asking for permission. I think that's a lot of where we go wrong. We're looking for other people to validate 
who we already are. And the only way we're going to become crystal clear about that is to find out what did God say about us? What did he promise us and what has he given us? And when we believe that, and I think that's a part, that's a separate conversation. We as Christians, to find mm -hmm. out how many people actually believe what the word says or that you can have or become what the Bible says really sets in motion how it is that you're going to, to be in this world. You have to mm -hmm. first believe that God is mm -hmm. and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So that's reading the Bible and prayer. And then that's doing what you read. Now starting to obey. Because if we love God, we must do what he says. And we need to live in a way that exemplifies him. When we do these things, and they're all steps, and it starts, you know, it's self-discipline, and it's being kind to others, and it's uh, being patient, and it's learning how to deal with conflict. All of these things help us to become more confident. You know, there's a saying or a question, what comes first, success or confidence? Mm -hmm. They work together. It's a marriage. It's a dance. The more success you have, the more confident you become, and it's day-to-day -day choices. So the good news in that is that every day you get a new opportunity to start again. You can start fresh today. Whatever you did wrong yesterday, you can decide today, okay, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start hanging out with people who want the things or have the things that I want. I'm going to start allowing myself to be accountable to someone. I'm going to let them know what I want to achieve and I'm going to have them work with me or talk with me. I'm going to sit down with a professional. Like these are just small mm -hmm. decisions we can make. So when we make these kind of independent choices that are separate from anybody, when we become confident in that way, then when you walk out into the world and you walk into your workplace or you are dealing with the situation, even in a school as a parent with your children, when you know who you are and you know what uh, respect is mm -hmm. and what it looks like and how you should be handled as a person, it helps us to show and demonstrate, you know what, that's a person that I would want working with me on this project, mm -hmm. or that's the kind of person. That's how it all starts. I was simply trying to be a better person, trying mm -hmm. to live out the word of God, and then people started seeing that and wanted to talk to me and know how did you become that kind of person or how did your children, they look so mannerable. You and your husband seem to have such a great relationship. And so it invites people to ask questions and then they can learn new ways and things mm -hmm. to do to become better. I love that. And I love the way you said you modeled it because you probably modeled for your sons, how important women are, you know, that yes. a lot of times the moms, they take a back seat, even when their kids are growing up, that they see they're more as, I don't want to say a maid, but you know, someone is in the background doing everything and not one that's taking charge of things. So I yes. think that absolutely helps as well as when you're modeling to your kids that, Hey, women are important. We are important. You know, you have to make sure you treat everyone with respect and treat everybody equally. And you know, and what's funny about that, is it wasn't, it didn't start off as a gender thing at all. It was humans. This mm -hmm. is how you treat human beings. This is how you interact with human beings. Kindness 
has no gender to it. Mm -hmm. You know, acceptance has no gender to it. And so being loving is not a gender. It is a choice. All of these things I'm saying are choices and love is an action word. So what we demonstrated to them is the love that we have for them as human beings. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't then separate my husband and me. This was our home. We're a mm -hmm. team and all the team members have a part to play to keep our home together. And these were conversations, like you said earlier, because I love that. These were conversations we were having, why it's important for everybody mm -hmm. to do their part and why it's important for us to be honest to tell the truth, why mm -hmm. it's important, you know, so those were the things we were doing. And so when my son heard that there was a, a separation of men and women in some way, it didn't compute mm -hmm. because he hadn't been taught that. And he saw my drive, as he says, mom, as long as I can remember, you were in school, you were doing <laughs> something. So he saw me doing something to better myself. And so then that's what his expectation would be of any woman. I, I expect women to go after what they want. I expect women to be driven. And that's so, so that's how that came to play. It wasn't gender at all. I love that. Now, when you were doing your research for your um, dissertation, as well as for the book, were people hesitant to talk to you about gender? And you said it didn't start out as gender, but well, it didn't start off as gender just in raising our children, but it was very much gender when I was doing my research for my dissertation and everybody knew the questions that I wanted to ask. So I had to work with pastors who were open to women in leadership. Now, they may not have necessarily been open to having a head woman as the pastor, and so they didn't know that those kind of questions necessarily were going to come, but they thought that they were pretty evolved. You know, yes, we believe in women or yes, we have women um, or yes, I've seen women. So those pastors, um, the way I selected those pastors is that I worked within my network asking the pastors that I knew who would they recommend, you know, based on what I was studying and the kinds of information I was looking for. And then those pastors then selected the people within their churches that they wanted to participate or thought would be interested in participating. And then I had to, they had to ask them if they were willing to do that. And so that's how, so it wasn't a cold call, you know, okay. I, didn't just, I didn't just open, look, I dated myself. I didn't open a phone book. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so everyone knew exactly what I was asking and they were intrigued by it, actually. So even if um, they were sharing something with me that they weren't sure how their pastor would feel about it, they were intrigued that the conversation was happening, that someone was interested in knowing or they were intrigued from the standpoint of, you know, I've never thought about that. And so having them to think about something that maybe they just took for granted or just assume that everybody was okay with it. So that's what I love about the conversation. And that's another way how we get people to be, uh, to, to change, to transform is having these kind of conversations about it. Because when we live myopically, you really don't know what you don't know until you're exposed to something different. That is so true. And I love the way you said 
just a minute ago how people were like they took things for granted and they didn't never really thought about it because it's the way things status quo the way things have always been so nobody thought oh wait a second maybe this is wrong how right. many people when you were interviewing them were they like they didn't believe that there was any inequality based due to gender bias or anything like that how many people actually did not believe that yeah so you found that more in men than mm -hmm. women all the women knew absolutely that there was gender bias and they knew that it was coming from both men and women. Mm. Men, some of them knew, some of them um, felt like everything was fine until you, like we are churches, yes, women, until you started questioning the number of women that may have been involved in a particular ministry or on the board or, you know, whatever, uh, group there may have been or when the question came up about what about the the head pastor would you be able to sit under a woman pastor as the head or leader of the entire church well see now that's another conversation that's a different type of leader so it was i loved i love this conversation and i love i even love the people who don't necessarily agree because two things, if they if they have daughters mm -hmm. or their daughters are growing up and you start to question, so so do you believe there are limitations for your daughters? Then it's like, oh no, now wait a minute. Because the, every parent wants everything for their children. You know, you have to make them put on the shoes of someone else or see it from a different perspective. And so as long as someone is open to the to consider, then I think we're I'm very hopeful. And I think we have a chance to see change in a very real way. How many of them, when, as you were talking to them, they were like light bulb moment went on when they realized that they had seen it, but they didn't realize what it was? Yeah. Oh, there was one in particular from a Baptist church and he was staunch Baptist. I mean, from the standpoint of women weren't allowed in the pulpit. They had to speak from the floor, a mic at the floor. And so I started asking him because, and this was all around church. And so I asked him, so have you ever worked for a woman? Has a, have you ever had a woman boss? And it was like the fact, and he was currently at that time under a woman boss. Oh, wow. But he had never married the two. Like this is, I said, so if this woman then came to your church because she had a, also has a call on her life and wanted to then, from a spiritual perspective, offer her gifts and abilities in the church, he realized, you know, although he was like, no, you know, she wouldn't be able to, as he was saying it, he realized, yeah, I, but you know, I, there, I'm working on it. Like he, he showed that mm -hmm. my thinking is a little skewed and I realized there's something I need to do about that. So that was beautiful to me because he started very dogmatic and very staunch. And then by the end he was saying, yeah, yeah, this was, I'm glad we had this conversation because I'm getting ready to start pastoring the church and mm -hmm. I want to be different this time with how I utilize or recognize women. I absolutely love that because you don't see a lot of people backtracking and changing something that they grew, they grew up in. 
I mean, had there was there ever a point in the conversation that there was anybody that just got up and said, I can't continue the conversation? Or were most of the people that you interviewed willing to sit down and at least have the conversation? Yeah, they were all willing to sit down. And, and this is why I believe, because I came just wanting to understand. Mm. I didn't come with the answer and I didn't come to challenge per se that or to to judge, to say mm. that they were wrong. I did come to challenge, though. And to give them food for thought. And anybody who's, you know, um, most people would be willing to have the conversation unless they're just an idiot. You know, there's just somebody <laughs> who's just so, you know, there are people who are just shut down. Like you, there's nothing. And so, okay, you you prefer to stay ignorant. You're not open to new information. You're not open to new ways. And so then I know then we can have a conversation, but that wasn't the case it, with any of these people. And I believe it was my approach. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of times the approach is you have to just kind of tailor your approach to who you're talking to. Cause if you go in like, this is, this is why gender, you know, gender bias, you have gender bias and people are like, they feel like they're being attacked. They're not going to be willing to listen to you. But I think if you said, let's sit down and have an open and honest conversation about this, where your your ideas may not be necessarily wrong, my ideas may not necessarily be wrong as well. But let's see if we can mesh and meet in the middle somewhere to understand each other better. And what's so powerful about that, Melissa? And it just goes back again to demonstration. A number of them said to me, "If more of them were like you, like if their demeanor was mm -hmm. like yours, because there are a lot of women that make it easy to not want to deal with them." Mm -hmm. because of the way they feel like or they think they need to present themselves in order to be respected or taken seriously. And you don't have to do any of that. You mm -hmm. just need to be who God created you to be and be that unapologetically. But it's not a, in the face, oh, you're going to respect me or you're going to recognize me. Not that, not that. But I'm very comfortable and who God made me. And I love being a woman and I'm going to be the mm -hmm. best woman I can be and represent Christ in all that I do. I absolutely love that. Now, in your book, you talk about the refresh model. What exactly is that? Yes. Yeah, so the refresh model is our system and our approach to how it is that churches who or organizations that are willing to make a change how it is that they can go about that. And so when you think about the word refresh in and of itself, that's like, you know, you get a, a new screen or a new mm -hmm. perspective or a new way of doing things. And so it's really an acronym and it stands in it. The R is refine. The E is explore. F is focus. R is redesign. E is exercise. S is structure and H is help. And for each one of those, we lay out what it is that, um, churches, organizations, people can do their, their core values mm -hmm. that can be modeled to help any organization change what hasn't been working to allow them to develop better as an organization, relationally, how it is that staff or church members interact with one another, and how it is that we develop leaders. All of that can be done through this model. And it's the how-to's to help people mm -hmm. with the coaching and the guidance to get them where it is that they would like to be. If 
you had the church that you wanted to or the mm-hmm. organization that you wanted, what would it look like? And what and what do you what are you willing to do? And we can help you get there by using this model. I absolutely love that. And I think a lot of you could also apply that model to yourself as well when you're reading yes. and say, oh, wait a second, I need to be a better person. Oh, oh, call myself out because sometimes we kind of say, okay, we're our own worst critics, but then we don't do anything about it. We criticize yes. ourselves, but then we don't do anything about what we're criticizing ourselves about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That just made that just reminded me we have um, other books in addition to. Uh, my Eve, where are you? But one of them is leadership done right. It's hard work. And it's the subtitle is 31 essential disciplines to becoming a leader of impact from the inside out. Because we know to be a good leader, you need to first learn how to lead yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where the work comes in with all of these organizations. You hit the nail right on the head. It starts with self-awareness and Mm -hmm. self-development. Because until you know what your bias are, you know, what what mm-hmm. kind of things trigger you or what are, are you more um, inclined to do or, or decisions? How are you making decisions? It's going to be difficult for you to show others how to do that. So it always starts with the individual before you can work out. Yeah, so true. Now, our time is almost up. Do you have one last little nugget that you want to share with people? Yeah, I do. I think. Um, for women, it's really incumbent upon us to be the best that we can be because so many people depend on it. And by being the best that we can be, you give yourself the best chance to live the kind of life that you talk about and maybe even dream about. But you can have it. It's the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis and the discipline that you're willing to have to see it through to the end. My interest and desire to be a a doctor, to get my doctor degree was in 1998 Mm -hmm. when the vision started and it wasn't actualized until 2019, but I never forgot. And I worked towards it slowly, methodically, And trust that by partnering with God, because I believed he put it in me, he would see me through to the expected end. And if he could do it for me, he could do it for you. I absolutely love that. And wow, what a great journey. What a great testimony as well for, you know, you worked on it slowly and methodically. Not like you did it all. I have to get it done right now. Because some people get so overwhelmed with the work ahead that they don't even take that first step. And you know, and in fact, I wanted to raise my our sons first. I wanted to finish that because I didn't want them competing with that. Mm. So it's having your priorities and having a, a plan and just acting on it slowly but surely. By a mile, what what is it? By a mile is a trial. By an inch is a cent. Oh, I never heard that before. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Now tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so we have two main websites right now, empowertoengage.com. That's where you can learn all about our organization. Both my my husband, Tony, and I work together in coaching and uh, consulting with organizations, marriages, and families, even with parents and their children. We do that together. And then there's Eve, Where Are You? If you want to know more about this book, uh, to get more information about 
uh, the research that I did and who can benefit from this book. We've written many books. You can find that on Empower to Engage as well in the resource section. You can get that uh, on Instagram. It's Empower to Engage on Facebook. It's Empower, it's Eve, where are you? Uh, and both for both, it's, yeah, you got it all. So <laughs> you can go to any of those and get information. And if you have questions, um, or if you are interested in our services, you can email us directly at info at empowertoengage.com and we will get your email and respond right away. And the book is called Eve, Where Are You? And it talks about the gender biases toward women. And I absolutely love it. And Nicole, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your life, your book, your journey with us, because I think it's going to be so uplifting to see someone that said, you know what, I want to do this, but I can't do it all at one time. And I can't do it all at one time because, you know, society tells us we can have it all. Well, right. You have to take little steps. You can't, yes. then you get overwhelmed. So and you can't do it by yourself either. You need a support system that will help you. Sometimes it's personal and sometimes it's professional, but get the help as well. I love that. So guys, I will put in the show notes everywhere where you can find I'm Nicole. I almost called you Eve because I looked at your book. <laughs> We're all Eve. Yep. Nicole and um, where you can find her as well as where you can find her books. And guys, I really hope you enjoy this, this message. When I first got on, I didn't realize it was going to take the turn that it did, but I'm glad it did because I think this is what we all need to hear now that we can do it, but we need to take tiny steps instead yes. of overwhelming steps. Yes. So, so we'll see you on the next chat from the bog cabin. Keep chatting and remember, be blessed. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.